0: Hello, welcome back to Mathematically Speaking. I'm your host, Adam Allred. Today I've got a bonus episode lined up for you guys. It's a compilation of interviews that I did for my other podcast for the the math department at the college that I attend. Took some clips from those interviews, just talking about math in general. Tried to avoid some of the student stuff that we asked them. Hope you guys like it. Um... There will be another bonus episode probably being released in the month of January. This is just something to hold you over until Season 2 starts on February 1st. Thank you again for supporting the show. Hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You, you
1: heard of him? Yeah. Okay. He probably, if he had lived 10, 20 more years, probably would be much better known. He's well known. Yeah. But he would be considered one of the geniuses of the 20th century. Uh, he wrote an article called The Mathematician. And he says, there's no such thing as pure and applied math. Hmm. That's, that's hogwash. What is true is that there is good math and bad math. Good math stays close to the tree of reality. And he felt number theory, which is one of my favorite subjects, was as applied math as anything. And he said that way before the codes and all the things that make number theory a very hot subject mm-hmm. today was around. He did it because he knew what the right philosophy was. And that was, you stay close to reality and inner-Jewish are as close to reality as there is, Mm -hmm. you're going to stay okay. He felt like bad mathematics is when you travel so far away from reality that you're in a totally world of your own. Mm -hmm. And that has decreased today, but in the 60s It was very popular to introduce abstract definitions. I remember my chair in Wyoming, who was a very bright guy, uh, was reviewing a paper, and he said, I'm reviewing this paper, and all of a sudden I realize that every function satisfies this definition. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, it's like the authors hadn't even realized that there's nothing to this concept, yeah. and that's what's happening in the sixties. They will introduce a notion, play mm-hmm. with the notion, produce results from the notion, and say, "Okay, where is the notion going? What is it doing?" So, no verification of reality. So, switching over to like a little more philosophical,
0: maybe. What do you think the difference is between pure and applied math? Yes,
2: yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, you're asking a pure mathematician. Um, And so I'll have a particular perspective. But in my mind, people use that as kind of an artificial way of putting different, more specific mathematical disciplines into buckets. And so we think of things like abstract algebra, topology, uh, differential geometry as all being pure mathematics. Um, And then you think about things as definitely being applied mathematics. We think of kind of modeling computational mathematics as being applied. But then there's all these things that have a lot of overlap on both sides, so that would be things like PDEs, real analysis, aspects of complex analysis, functional analysis. Really overlap the other two. But what I think is really fun is that in, in kind of modern research mathematics, you have computational tools kind of bleeding over to the pure world, and you have the pure world being able to say something interesting about how to best perform kind of computational hmm. uh, mathematics. And so, even in my own research, I. Have always thought of myself as the purest of all pure mathematicians, but I literally have been using computational investigations to invest bit, investigate pure mathematics open questions recently, and I never thought that I'd be doing that. But hmm. it's just such a good tool that yeah. um, I found myself doing it.
0: It's going to be a topology theorem. But what is your favorite theorem? <laughs>
2: yeah. So let me let me warm you up for this because because we need to take a, a, it step by step by dimension. So. Here's something called the Jordan curve theorem. So the Jordan curve theorem says that if you have a loop in the plane, and a loop here you can imagine is like a race car track. So it could be, have lots of turns and windy, but it never crosses itself. That would be a dangerous race car track, right? Mm -hmm. But you have any loop, um, or a topologist might just say a circle, in the plane, then it bounds a disc to one side. And so that means that if you took a pair of scissors and your plane was a sheet of paper, and you cut along the loop, one of the two pieces that you got would be a disk. And this isn't like the standard round disk, this means that after you kind of bent and mushed it around, you could make it the standard round disk. So up to some kind of continuous deformation, it was the standard round disk. So this um, Jordan curve theorem is fundamental in all kinds of ways, but my favorite theorem is the the one dimension higher analog of the Jordan curve theorem.
0: Mm
2: the higher dimensional analog of a circle is a sphere. We already mm-hmm. talked about spheres. They're like the surface of a basketball, not the thing that's inside. And the three-dimensional Schoenflies theorem says that if you have a smooth, which just means kind of nice, sphere inside of three-dimensional space, then it bounds a three-ball on one side. And so three-ball is the higher dimensional analog of the disk. Mm-hmm. Think about, like, the solid stuff inside a bowling ball. That's mm-hmm. a three-ball. So, even if you took your, your nice sphere and you kind of mushed it all around and continuously deformed it, and it's this crazy worm like thing inside of three space, to one side it bounds a three ball, a topological three ball, something that itself could be mushed around to be a three ball. So, that's the Schoenflies theorem in dimension three. And the reason why I love that theorem isn't because necessarily the, the details of the proof, the proof is you know, interesting and, and complicated, but it's the thing that I have to use. Um, every time I start writing a theorem about not theory or three-manifold topology. It's the thing that you have to use to get a handle on the kind of combinatorics if you want to think about surfaces inside of three-dimensional space. And the wild thing about it is that you can bump up the dimension one further. And so the higher-dimensional analog of a, of a sphere or a two-sphere is a three-sphere. And you can ask, it about, um, ask about three spheres that are smoothly... Inside of four dimensional space, and you can ask, does that bound a, a four ball to one side? And so the, that's the higher dimensional analog question in four dimensions. Does a smooth three sphere inside of four space bound a four ball? And it's open. So that's called the Schoenflies conjecture in dimension four. And so, for any aspiring young mathematicians <laughs> out there, it's one of the biggest open questions in all of topology. If you solve that question, everybody will know your name. Yeah. so it, it really gets at the heart of the just the difference that you can run into moving from one dimension to another is are these shown theorems and conjectures
3: I have been very interested in all sorts of things in my career I you know started as my PhD program I started doing biometrics uh, face recognition mm-hmm. I worked with computer scientists uh, at Colorado State to come up with geometric data analysis techniques to study patterns in high dimensional space. But as soon as I got to campus here, I, didn't, I wasn't able to find any collaborators on, on, on this project. So I started to collaborate with medical doctors who studies human placentas. And so in the past few years, I have been studying the connections between human placentas and adult diseases such as autism, hypertension type of things. But most of the stuff that I do focuses on image processing and data analysis and so recently I have become very interested in studying educational data for example looking at students retention and graduation rates and factors that could impact a different retention and graduation rates so I'm currently working with quite a few statistics master's students uh, looking at various aspects of this so such as uh, one one person is looking at uh, the set of characteristics of students who, why they are doing well in, say, for example, Math 104 or Statistics 108. Another student could be looking at the major switching patterns, so why students switch out of a certain major, and if you do switch out of a certain major, are they successful after that?
4: Wow. I think math is about um, trying to find patterns mm-hmm. in the physical world and in the behavior, both of sort of logical concepts and of physical things, so you kind of you you look at something that's happening either as a consequence of logical axioms that you set up in mm-hmm. pure math or at something that's happening in the in the physical world, and you try to observe patterns, and then you try to explain those patterns, and hopefully you try to prove <laughs> what your yeah. what your um, conjectures are, and then you use those to predict other behavior that maybe is harder to observe directly so the thing I would emphasize there is it's not so much about computation although I mean obviously computation is a huge part of math but that's not the point of math Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what people think of it's not so much about computation it's about um identifying patterns and describing them and checking whether what you think is a pattern really is Mm -hmm. and um using that to explain what's going on. Um, Do you think that there's um like a
0: difference between a pure and applied math? Is there like an actual difference or is it just like departments need to like Make different
4: degrees. <laughs> um, yeah, so so the the way you sent me that question is what makes them different, yeah. and you kind of anticipated what I was going <laughs> to say in that. It. Um, it's a very blurry line yeah. between the two, um, and there are sort of differences in emphasis, like more mm-hmm. of an emphasis on computation and applied math, and more of an emphasis on sort of abstract theories and pure math. Mm-hmm. Um, And of course, more of an emphasis in applications in applied math, Um, and maybe connections to other fields like physics and biology, um, or maybe computer science. Um, Having said that, some of those distinctions really are overblown because Mm -hmm. um, applied mathematicians are doing a lot of the same things that I sort of associate with pure math, which is discovering patterns, Mm -hmm. learning how to predict them. Maybe finding more efficient ways to calculate things, uh, but that involves lots of theory too. And certainly, pure mathematicians are also engaged in that as well. So it's it's a bit of a of a gray area. Um, pure math is is supposedly all about theory and not applied to anything, mm-hmm. but um, people always say that that whatever you think is the purest of the pure math, one, one of these days is going to find an application. Yeah. So um, number theory, for example, was always considered to be the very, very purest subject in the world, and there were never any applications of number theory to real life. Mm-hmm. And in the past few decades, number theory has suddenly become the foundation of cryptography yeah. and computation. And so you know the, the entire growth of the Internet as a secure medium of communication has been really built on number theory. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden you have computer scientists studying number theory and so-called pure mathematicians who are advising um, cryptography companies. Mm -hmm. So is that pure math or is that applied math? You know, it's really just kind of an academic distinction. (laughs) That's fair.
0: Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the show. Just a quick pause to let you know that if you have any questions or comments and you'd like them to be on the show, feel free to leave me a voice message. The link for that should be in the show notes. If you want to leave me a message, you can find me on Instagram at Adam underscore Elisha, on Twitter at Mathematically Speaking, and there's now a Facebook group called Mathematically Speaking where we're going to be having discussions after every show, and I'll be posting episodes there about a day early. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show.